0: And the scriptures speak quite clearly in this way, and the Holy Spirit has a way in these cases of really speaking deeply within. And when he speaks, you know it. There's no question about it. And so uh, I got busy, and I told Paul during that process, I said, Actually, I want want to focus on getting this done in every way, and as a consequence, uh, I hope you'll just excuse me from preaching for a while, until I get this done. So I stand before you today, since it's done, to be able to preach, and I praise God for this opportunity. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And our verse our verses of Scripture this morning, or Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to skip down to uh, chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, because we're covering a theme here this morning. And you'll see the title of my message is Attaining Unity of the Faith. Unity of the Faith. In verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul says these words, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Go down to verse 11. And Paul goes on to say, And he gave some, and he's talking about to the church, And he gave to the church some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, in building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every way of doctrine, by the treachery of men or the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fit, fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let's pray. Father God, We come this morning giving thanks to you as we always do for this opportunity to come into your house and worship you in spirit and in truth. Into this place where we know, God, that Jesus is here in our midst and, God, that he is here because he indwells us through your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for that indwelling power. We pray that every single individual here this morning would know you truly in every sense of the word, in all aspects, that we might mature and grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord, and that we might increase, Lord, as a result in the unity of the spirit of peace, and, Lord God, that Jesus Christ would be glorified in this place, in this church, among your faithful ones that you have called at the Alliance Bible Church of McHenry. We ask this in the name above all other names. In Jesus we pray. Amen. In verse 1, Paul is imploring, he says, I implore you that you walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing faith, tolerance for one another in love, showing forbearance, as some of the scriptures say, for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why am I preaching about this this morning? Because I know good and well that, uh, by the way, the next series of sermons that Paul's going to proclaim is a series of sermons about the church. And I know he's going to talk about unity. But I'm giving you a perspective this morning from just my particular point of view that hopefully will prove helpful as we need reminding constantly as Christians of the truth. We need to know that. That's why we need to be in the Scriptures daily so that God can speak to us and bring to remembrance those things that are important. That's part of taking heed to the ministry you've received in the Lord that you might fulfill it. And therefore, it is my privilege to preach about this today because we're at a crossroads as a church where if we want to please ourselves rather than God, we can choose to do certain things, and we might even choose, some might choose, to pick up and leave and go somewhere else. Or we can be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace And know truly the will of God in all of its fullness so that we as a body of believers placed here at the corner of Illinois Route 31 and Charles Miller Road, or what we used to call Bow Valley Road, can fulfill the purpose for which God has called us. We can choose to walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling, or we can choose to go and do it our way. In the first service I was talking about, there was a time in my life I can remember Many years ago, thankfully, when I was apart from the Lord, doing my own thing, living a life, really, of my own rule. And I can remember one of the favorite songs I had. I can, I can remember, it just tells you how old I am, playing on my eight-track player. Remember eight-track players? And That tells you that's a long, long time ago. Technology has gone by and surpassed that many, many Decades ago, nevertheless, my favorite song was Frank Sinatra, who I thought could probably put over a secular song better than anyone else I ever heard. And he sung uh, the song, My Way. And when you listen to the words of that, they are really something else to, to consider. It sounds good in a humanistic sense of the word. I'm going to do it my way. And I can remember one time in a Sunday school class uh, many years ago in Toronto, when I was talking about this as a consequence of spiritual maturity, about our choice between doing it my way or doing it God's way, that I made the comment that, and I, and I took, and matter of fact, I even recited the song in all of its, uh, its fullness, if you will. And I thought, now, you know, here's, here's the philosophy of man. Now, let's look at the philosophy, or if you will, the commandments of God. And they're about as juxtaposed to one another as they possibly could be. They're at 180. They're totally poles apart in every sense of the word. And that's kind of the choice we have. Whether we're going to choose to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling with which we have been called, with all diligence and gentleness and forbearance and tolerance for one another in love, so that we might attain the unity of the faith, or that we might do this in accordance with the Spirit of God and the bond of peace, although we're going to do it our way, because we're not happy with the things that might be happening in our congregation. And so the call to unity relates to us today as never before, as never, ever before. We need to be cognizant of this, and we need to understand what it means. First of all, I want to call your attention to the fact, he says, walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And what we talk about when we say walk, it refers to, in the Christian sense, that we are making progress, that we're going somewhere, that we're pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, as it says in Philippians. Or whether we are just strolling about, kind of doing our own thing, walking in a manner that's not necessarily worthy of our Lord, or the calling with which we have been called. So we have a choice. We can walk according to that, or as it says in Romans chapter 8, we can essentially choose to walk in the power of the Spirit or walk in the power of the flesh. And Paul admonishes us in Romans to walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And so we need to walk. We need to be making progress. We need to be growing and maturing spiritually in order that we might attain to the unity of the faith. Also, the fact that we have to do it with humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerance that is marked by love speaks volumes to us because... We can't do it without that. That's the fruit of the Spirit. If you look at Galatians chapter 5, and you find that that's the essence of it. Humility, gentleness, kindness, tolerance for one another, marked by love. We must also have an attitude of humility, because if you don't, we're talking about a verse of Scripture that I want to recite to you that's not mentioned just once. In the New Testament, in James chapter 4, verse 6, or in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it's also mentioned in Proverbs 34. And in essence, it says this, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it was a long time ago that God spoke to me accordingly, that I needed to have grace in order to forgive those who might have wronged me. I needed to have grace in order to know the fullness of Christ. And if I am resistant to God and disobedient to Him, if I'm insisting that I'm going to do it my way, instead of God's way, I'm not going to have the grace I need to live my life. And as a consequence, we need to be reminded of that passage of Scripture again and again. It's mentioned three times in the Bible. God's opposed the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's important that we know that, because we need that grace to live. And let's talk just briefly about this thing about a, a, a preserving the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. First of all, I want to call to your attention that when you look at the Trinity, when you look at Jesus the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit you'll find no disunity at all. It is perfect harmony and unity in the three personalities of God. It says, "Me, the Father and I are one. And the Holy Spirit that He sent to bear witness is one with Him and the Father. As a consequence, there is total harmony and unity in the Godhead. And we need to be cognizant of that, because if there's unity in the Godhead, there needs to be unity among the church. For Christ is the head of the church. He is our authority. Does not God, then, who has forgiven us, have a right to expect of us that we will be able to forgive others? He would not have told us that if it were not so. Did he not command us to love one another even as he has loved us to love one another? That's being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And let me just say this we talk about being diligent. Our day our culture today is anything but uh, uh, being conscious or conscious of diligence. It's uh, instant gratification. By the way, instant gratification, it was said, is not fast enough. So when you think about it, we need diligence to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And diligence means that we work at it. This is one of the reasons why Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're not talking about earning your way to uh, God's grace. It's not such thing. What well, we're talking about, there's something that we have to do and talking about walking in the spirit, does not Paul said earlier in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, just look over for a moment, for it says, we are created in His workmanship, for we are His workmanship, it says, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we would walk in them. So therefore we are to be diligent. To preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. To attain to the unity of the faith. So therefore, God has given gifts. God through Christ has given gifts to the church. And in verse 11, it says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. If you look at the whole of Scripture, you can understand clearly that apostles, and I like to read the Amplified version occasionally, and it says the apostles were special special messengers. They were tr- they were church planters in the truest sense of the word, and as special messengers, God's special messengers, men like Paul, who had seen Jesus in the flesh, they had seen the resurrected Lord. They had been given great spiritual insights and gifts, and even revelation. Paul went on to say in Romans 15.10, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And so the word was given to the apostles. To those who had the special messengers of God in the very first century who planted the churches, who then planted other churches and other churches after that. And on and on it goes. And as a consequence, God gave these men special gifts that He gave no others. I can, I, as I read the Bible, as I look at and survey the whole of Scripture, I cannot help but come to the point of believing that the office or the gift of apostle or apostleship is no longer relevant in our time. We have the revealed word of God. We have the canon of scripture. We have been privileged beyond anyone else in any other age in which we have possibly lived of having more of the revealed word of God given to us, in every kind of translation, in every kind of tongue imaginable on the face of the earth, so that we might understand the knowledge and will of God. What gifts we have been given. So therefore, when you look at the other offices, the other gifts, that of prophets, and I look at 1 uh, first, first Corinthians chapter 14, I cannot help but conclude that prophecy, which not, doesn't mean necessarily that it's uh, foretelling the future as much as proclaiming the truth. Prophets proclaim the fullness of God's word. And that's an office, I believe, in my own personal study of the scriptures, that's in that's in operation today. We have prophets who can speak clearly. Men who have a knowledge and, a, and an ability to express God's truth like few others have ever done. We also have evangelists. Need I look any further than Billy Graham? But he's not the only one. Men who have been called to that office to proclaim God's gospel message to all the nations. Traveling missionaries, as the uh, Amplified Bible says. And then lastly, we have pastors and teachers. Not some pastors and some teachers, but pastors and teachers. And the the words go together. In our... In our day and age, we would say pastors slash teachers. And so therefore, if one is called to be a pastor, they certainly have the ability to teach. And most of the time, those who are called to be teachers can have the attitude or can have the mindset of being a pastor. Because pastor means essentially a shepherd of the flock. Simply said, the pastor is one who shepherds the flock of God. And elders are called to shepherd the flock of God. All you need to do is look at First Peter. So when I survey the scriptures, I see today that those gifts are in operation and they've been done for a twofold purpose. It says, one, they are to equip the saints. That means the called ones, the believers, the born-again believers, and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, They are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. As Paul opens up this letter, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says this, because he acknowledges that the saints are important. Those are the people to whom he's speaking. This is the word revealed to us. To us, the saints. And therefore he has given us pastors and teachers for the twofold purpose of, number one, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, or the work of service, as it says the New American Standard. Most of the modern translations translate that as ministry. So do you know that you have been called... To the ministry? Did not Christ say, go therefore, or as you go, make disciples of all nations, teach them all that I've commanded you, baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Did he not say in Acts that you are to be his witnesses in our Jerusalem? In all Judea and Samaria and even the remotest parts of the earth. That's what John Stumbo wants us to be known as, as our denomination. Our leader says that we ought to be known as an Acts 1-8 people. Witnesses for him. So therefore we have all been called to the ministry. That's why it applies to us that we are all to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling with which we have been called. Because we've all been called. We've been called to be his witnesses. We've been called to make disciples of all nations. We are equipped then by this office called Pastors Teachers who expounds the Word of God so that we might be able to do just this. Fulfill the service that God has called us to fulfill. And also, twofold purpose, to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. Or to edify to use a, a, a more complex word. It says in the, the Old King James to perfect the saints for the work of ministry. It says also then that we are to edify the body of believers, to edify the body of Christ, the church, to build it up, to strengthen it. And so we ought to be conscious that we have that twofold purpose in this as we walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling, that we ought to be conscious that we have been equipped for the work of service, and also that we are called to build up the body of Christ. That's a simple thing that we have to do. Now, there's a threefold objective in the way that we are going to go about doing this. It says further, in verse 13, Until we all attain to the unity of the Spirit... Now, pardon me, on the unity of the faith, in verse 3, it talks about preserving the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, but just saying the same thing, the unity, attaining to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, let's talk about what that means briefly. To attain to the unity of the faith means that we have to uh, understand that it requires, as I had said before, when we talk about diligence, it requires some hard work. It requires an effort on our behalf. It requires that we be conscious and obedient to the calling of Christ in our lives. That we are willing to forgive one another. And it goes on to say that and at verse 3 of the of chapter 4 diligent to be forgiving to be gentle to be tolerant to be loving to be respectful of one another to consider the importance of one another more than we consider the importance of ourselves until we attain and that is that there's another specific thing i want to draw to your attention in verse 13 Two words, we all, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. None excluded, all included. We means every one of us. All is inclusive of every believer that professes Jesus Christ as Lord. Every one of us has a role here. Every one of us has a part to play here. We are not excluded because we think we haven't been gifted enough. We are all to attain to the unity of the faith. We are all to attain to the knowledge of the Son of God. We are all to attain a level of maturity to the measure. Of the full, of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, when you think about that, there's just no exclusions. We're all included. This is a commandment. God is speaking through his apostle Paul and says, I implore you in verse one. Implore you. I'm exhorting. I'm pleading with you. Be conscious of this. And we have been equipped for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith, until we attain the level of knowledge that God wants us to have, knowing Jesus Christ the Son fully and completely, and we are to attain a maturity so that we might truly become spiritual people. Now, when you stop to think about the words unity and maturity, how can you separate one from the other? I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's humanly possible for us to do. It. If you claim to be mature, you will be impe- compelled by the Holy Spirit to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You will be diligent to reach out and do everything you can to be sure. That you are doing your part so that it's all fit together, as it says there in verse 15, or pardon me, in verse 16, about how all the joints supply and play a part, individual parts playing a part to the whole of the body of Christ. And so therefore, how can you separate unity from maturity? I don't think that's possible. Because if you have one, you're going to have the other. If you have unity, you're going to have maturity. If you have maturity, you're going to have unity. Because that's what it's all about. That's becoming part of the mature person to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And by the way, the measurement, the standing, or the standard by which we are judged in this is not by the world standard to become a good Christian, but rather by the standard that Jesus Christ himself set that we would be filled up with the fullness of God in accordance with who He is and what He represents. So, then what is uh, the end result that we're looking for? The end result, as it says in verse 14, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there, by ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, but speaking the truth in love. As a result, he says, we're no longer to be tossed about. As the old expression goes, we're no longer to be thrown about hither and yon. We're no longer just to be thrown about by every wind of doctrine. And by the way, in this age, this age in which we live, there's every kind of doctrine out there that can be deceitful and trickery in every sense of the word. There's all sorts of false teachers. I'd only remind you, in 2 Timothy 4.1, Paul warned Timothy, says this, For the time will come when they will not receive sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled... They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own decrees. Think about what it means. They will find people who will tickle their ears. That will satisfy the things that they want. Not conscious of what God wants. But what they want. You can find someone out there today. That will appeal to every kind. A false doctrine imaginable. It's there. You know, and and I made a study of this because you've heard me preach about worldview. And the fact that it's so needed for us as believers in Jesus Christ, who profess to be his followers and disciples, that we would have a biblical worldview, that we would have the mind of Christ, rather than a worldview that's a hodgepodge of the world's philosophies. And we find ourselves being tricked and deceived, or our ears tickle, or some people go to that point. Uh, they want to know the latest, if you will, of what's going on. And so they, they seek that, and there's somebody that's going to make them feel good about it, I can guarantee you. There are mega churches that have pastors that are proclaiming anything but the fullness of the stature of Christ. They're proclaiming all kind of false doctrine. In Colossians 2, it says, in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And so what we ought to have, and ought to be our objective as Christians in every sense of the word, Is a biblical worldview, a worldview that's grounded and rooted in the truth of God, that we might manifest to this world the mind of Christ. Not the mind of the world, not the philosophies of the world, or the philosophies of men, regardless of how good they sound. The fact is, the truth of God is eternal and unsurpassed. We need nothing else. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me, as that whole wonderful hymn says, and how true it is that we need that truth in our world today. Also, there is a need for us to play the individual role each one of us has as part of the body of Christ, none excluded You might not be called to minister through the preaching of the word, but you have been gifted by the sovereign will of God through the Holy Spirit and equipped to play a role in the body of Christ, every single one of you. As most of you know, I'm a little bit prejudiced because I'm the director of small groups, so I would say to you that if you want a place to exercise your spiritual gifts, just guess where you can do it best, the very best place to do it is in a small group where your giftedness can play a role. If you're faithful and diligent enough to seek that, you can find a place there in that kind of fellowship, a role that you can play where your part as an individual fits perfectly together in the body of Christ. He's gifted you accordingly, according to those gifts that you'll find in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just to give give you a couple of references right off the bat. So seek to do the will of God. Seek to play your role and part of the body of Christ. And then you'll know that through your unity and maturity, that you will help bring about in the body of believers the growth that Christ wills for us as a body, as a whole, that you'll play a role in this church. We have this choice. We're going to be faced with some trying times. The conversion or the reversion to one service is going to be a challenge for us because we have some people that feel very strongly about one issue or another. But the fact is is that we need to in all humility and tolerance for one another and love and gentleness and kindness and considering one another more important than ourselves as individuals, we have an opportunity for God to unite us in a way that we have not been united in some time. Instead of two congregations, we have one, and we get to know one another. We get to fellowship with one another, and more importantly, we get to love one another. And that is how we will achieve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let me call your attention to one other verse of Scripture. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Paul wrote, he says, For as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, and put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you forgive them. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. One of the verses of Scripture, First Peter three eight. To sum it up, again, this is the New American Standard I'm quoting. To sum it up, all of you. All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. I like the English Standard Version that says this. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and an humble mind. How do we do it? Can you say it any better than Peter said? There in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 8. And also, as Paul wrote to the Church of Colossae in chapter 3. It says it. This is the attitude that we ought to have to one another. This is how we will be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is how we will attain to the unity of faith. And also how we will grow in the complete and full knowledge of God to a mature person that is measured not in accordance with the world, but in accordance with the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, who, by the way, fills all in all. There's no need for anything else. There's no need for any other God we have the true God who's given us his Son in whom we can believe and trust and put our faith in so that we might live according to the Spirit that he has given us, walking in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Let us pray. Father, we come this morning acknowledging that we sometimes fall so short on our own, But, God, you have given us grace that we might do things that otherwise would be impossible for us to do. Lord, we do not want to resist you. We do not want to oppose you. We want to obey you. We want to abide in you so that we receive the fullness of your spirit in the bond of peace, that we might be preservers of that, diligent in every way to do that, humbling ourselves, thinking more of one another than we do ourselves loving each other the way that you have loved us, according to the grace that you give us. May it be so, Father, so that Christ Jesus is glorified in us and in the church, so that they might look upon and see that we are known by our love for one another. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, and for his sake, we ask these things. Amen.